So we are privileged to celebrate what's traditionally known as the Red Mass here tonight. Um, are you in the legal profession? Indeed. That's where you normally sit. So. But all the other lawyers and judges, I don't know, maybe they're scattered out. They don't want to hear my lawyer jokes. But I'm sure we do have others in a group this size who work in the legal profession, or we know them, so we hold them in prayer. But I remember one time I was asked to give a talk to some law students. It was a Catholic law student society. And I thought about it, and I eventually winded up calling the talk, Why Good Lawyers Make Lousy Atheists. Good lawyers make lousy atheists. And to illustrate that point, I just want to share something with you. This is a bound copy of my homily tonight. <laughs> this is a law code. It's the code of canon law. It's the law that governs the operation of our Catholic Church. And for students, for seminarians, this is either the class they hate or every couple of years there's one or two that really love it. And then they usually go on to do advanced studies in this. But it's a remarkable collection of canons, right? canon law. And there's a lot of detail there, as you might expect. You can go through hundreds and hundreds of canons talking about how a parish should be operated, how a diocese should be operated, sacramental law, all kinds of things. And it's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees until you come all the way to the very last canon. It's number 1,752. Now, this is a spoiler alert. If you were halfway through the Code of Canon Law, plug your ears because I'm going to tell you how it ends. And here's what it says. After everything that's gone before, right? Think of any civil law code for that matter. At the very end, what the one who has carefully read and hopefully prayed through this large text is asked to remember is, quote, the salvation of souls, which must always be the supreme law in the church, is to be kept before one's eyes. What is the supreme law in the church? There's all of these important canons, but the supreme law is the salvation of souls, and that must always be kept before anyone's eyes who would ever engage the many lesser canons in this code. And I'm mentioning that and why I shared that with Catholic law students, and not a lawyer, don't have a lot of lawyers in my family, but still I've got to think. If you sit down and consider the law broadly, right, as a vocation, whatever it is that ultimately draws someone into that profession, or to work in civic duty in any capacity, you know, whoever your overarching interpreter of law might be, maybe it's Plato or Cicero or Montesquieu or Marshall in the American tradition, but at the end of the day, it's got to be driven by some overarching goal. The reason we have this law code is for this purpose, for the right ordering of our society, for the enhancement of justice. And yes, we can all get cynical and say, yeah, but that's not how it really works in the everydayness. But cynicism should never shoot down an ideal that drove the whole thing in the first place. And think about our own Old Testament. What's the driving force there behind what is overarchingly a code of law? It's that simple relationship between God and his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Now under that, you've got the Ten Commandments, 
You've got dozens and dozens of other laws, dietary laws, marriage laws, but it's all driven by that one overarching desire. I want to be in relationship with you as my people. The reason I say if someone really gets that sense of the law, the spirit of the laws, so to speak, then he or she is in a pretty good position to enter into the Christian spiritual life. And here's what I mean. We were asked in our GROW series to really reflect tonight on prayer, the importance of prayer, but how can we grow in our capacity as prayers, ones who pray? That's what the prophet Habakkuk is talking about. That's what the psalm is talking about. Lord, I want you to hear what I have to say. One of the biggest things to remember in prayer is that there is an overarching desire, just like what drives any law code. And that overarching desire is, I want to be in relationship with you, God. Because it's a given that you want to be in relationship with me, even if I don't always feel that. But a lot of times, prayer stops there. It stops at the highest level. Oh, Lord, let me know you. Oh, Lord, you love me. That's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that language, but we've got to be brutally honest. We don't live the everydayness of our lives at that highest abstraction. Just like a law code isn't very valuable if all you do is sit around and say, well, this is for the salvation of your soul. Yeah, but I want to get married at the end of August. What do I have to do? The details matter. The details are the way we work out the stuff of the relationship, right? We know this in our human relationships. It's beautiful to say to someone, I love you, but what does that look like? What does it look like on the most glorious days and what does it look like on the lousy days? But that doesn't change that overarching desire. And so when you go to prayer, I know we've got the line, don't sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. That's what prayer should be all about. No detail is too small or insignificant to bring to God in prayer. Because otherwise, I guarantee you, you're going to get frustrated. Or the prayer is just going to become a bunch of platitudes and kind of dry. You're saying things that you know are true, but they don't really seem to apply to you. And the antidote for that is just to be specific. There's nothing God wants to hear more than the minutia of our lives. And before it's a pleading or an apology or a begging for forgiveness or mercy, just let it be a relating. Lord, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I'm dealing with. You know, I've got this diagnosis and I'm not sure how it's going to pan out. Somebody I love is really struggling. I'm so grateful for this little thing that came up this morning. I'm wondering, I'm confused, everything that goes on in our hearts. And it just has to be what's ever on your heart for that day. Prayer doesn't have to be a lifetime review because it's a relationship, right? And so it's just the little things that affect you. And it's not selfish to pray that way. God has more than enough bandwidth to take care of the rest of the world. Prayer always needs to start with your relationship with God. And I guarantee that's what will make you a more effective prayer for everybody else in your life. It matters to go through the 1,751 canons before you get to that last one. Because it's in those little 
moments and not so little moments. Most of these canons won't affect you directly on any given day, but man, one or two of them are going to mean the world on that day at that time. And it matters to know them. And so every time we go into prayer, it doesn't matter if what's on our mind today isn't what was on our mind last year, or it doesn't match up with what seems to be going on in the universal church, or it doesn't seem to agree with what your favorite YouTube priest said you should care about. If it matters to you, it matters to God. But what we have to do is be willing to bring that forward. And really what that means is just take some time every day if you can in prayer. Five minutes is great. Five minutes, five honest sets of 60 seconds is a lot longer than we think. And just to say, Lord, this is where I'm at. Okay, fine. Then the second reason good lawyers are lousy atheists. Because when we go into prayer, how do we know we're not just talking to ourselves, right? This is something I struggle with a lot. A lot of people struggle with it. Okay, okay, how do I know what God is saying to me? You talk about listening to God. Well, here, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I've got to believe that the very core of any law code, it's built on that nature of face-to-face -face interaction. That's why I believe we say you have to face your accuser. And if someone accuses you, you have the right to look them in the eye because there's something very powerful about that kind of encounter. Big section, as you might imagine, in the Code of Canon Law has to do with the sacrament of marriage. And it's here in the Code of Canon Law that they describe things like, well, what happens if there is an annulment? What does that process look like? And for a diocese that's generally called the marriage tribunal, where those things are processed, and a lot of times when people hear that language, they imagine there's some august church courtroom and a bishop and a powdered wig and yogi before them. But it's not like that at all. Those annulments are largely processed through documents in an office. And there's often very little face-to-face -face encounter. So what I always say to new and not-so-new canon lawyers, if I have the chance, I'm a rector, so I love telling other priests what they should do. They love telling me what I should do. And I simply say to them, you've got to get out of your office. If you're processing an annulment, that is an incredibly intimate and often very difficult and painful process, which ultimately can lead to healing. That's the hope and desire. But don't just let that be a document in front of you. No, it's not appropriate necessarily to talk to the people in that particular case. There's other advocates in the diocese who walk with them. But talk to people who've been through the process. Talk to married people. Talk to people whose marriages haven't gone so well. Talk to people who desire marriage. That's not our life as clergy. Let it be for you an encounter, and it will never simply be something that's buried in Canon 1526 through Canon 1529, or whatever it is. So to face the one with whom you're interacting, if at some level the law is based on that requirement, it makes a lot of sense to me. And so that's a big part of prayer as well. It doesn't always feel that way. But when we go into prayer, that's our time to be eyeball to eyeball with God, right? I mean, if God is who we say God is, it's not like he's going to be off doing something else. Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray now. Oh, I'll get back to you next week. I've got to take care of somebody else. 
if we compose ourselves and say, Lord, this is our time, you can believe that God is there. So how do I know I'm not just talking to myself? Well, what you do is you just pay attention to your own feelings and your own thoughts. As you relate to God, whatever it is, Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm confused. Lord, I'm grateful for this person or this situation. Maybe just take a minute to do that and then be quiet. And how does it feel? What are the feelings that come up inside of you? You must face your accuser. Because if you're telling a lie to the face of the accuser, even if they don't say a word, you're going to feel it inside. Let's take a more positive example. You can tell someone that you love them as you're practicing it in a mirror, and you're not nearly going to feel the same way as if the moment comes where you look them in the eye and say, I love you. Because the feelings that come up inside of you are going to be the product of that relationship you have with that person. That's how it works. That's what it means to be in a personal relationship. And it may take a little time to get used to that concept with God in prayer, but that's what Christians say about God. God is a person, a divine person, but a person. Not just an intellect, not just a power, but a someone who actually cares and loves. And so as you say to God, Lord, this is the thing that's on my heart now, and you pay attention to the feelings that go along with that. That isn't just you talking to yourself. That's largely influenced by God's communication to you. Okay, this is just a little homily. There's a lot more I could say. But don't take my word for it. Try it. And if you want to learn more, seek me out. I'm happy to tell you more. Talk to any of the priests here. Talk to the seminarians. Better yet, talk to someone in your life God has given you whom you trust and love. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a sibling, someone with whom you can pray and just be honest. I guarantee you, you begin to notice over time consistencies, messages, feelings, and that's the stuff of prayer. And I'd like to think that a good law student who wants to be a good lawyer, even if they never thought about how that might prepare them to be a good prayer, is being skilled in the value of that interpersonal encounter. So just a little spiritual exercise as we move into this next week of ordinary time, if we want to focus on prayer. Sweat the small stuff. Just pick one or two things on your mind or heart on any given day in any given prayer period and just state it to God. Make your case. And then sit quietly, trusting that you are having a face-to-face -face encounter. And pay attention to the feelings that come up. To face your accuser or to face your beloved and to say with honesty what's in your heart will generate a reaction in you that's partly caused by who they are for you. That's how they're communicating to you. Give it a try on as many days of this week as you can, ideally all seven. You don't need 1,700 canons to help you grow in the Christian spiritual life. But man, you need the small stuff. And you and I both need that face-to-face -face encounter. Go into prayer, and I promise you, God is there.